I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a, a momentous Raw Impressions episode this week. It's a, our first interview where I tried to do it properly. And That's true. You did. Yeah, instead of having the person talking to the person and having them come out of a speaker that I'm, I did it like the professionals do. Oh, mm-hmm. such a pro. If you're an old Andy Rocker like myself, you might have a piece of Stephen. You keep saying King's. Stephen. It's Why do Steve. I th- <laughs> if you're if you're an old Andy Rocker like myself, mm-hmm. chances are you might have a Steve Keen piece of art in your house. We have a Steve Keen. And now we also have the Steve Keen art book, beautifully produced by Daniel Ephraim. And I know it was a really big uh, effort for him to put it together. And we got to talk to Daniel and Steve this week. And I think you mostly hear from Steve talking to us. Maybe Daniel pops in a little bit. We're going to cut right into the conversation. Yeah, we cut right in. So, Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's Steve explaining... What Daniel has done for him. Dan's kind of like, um, he has kind of helped me and carried on like the myth of my work. Dan's known me for 30 something years and seen me do my stuff um, for years and years and in bars and do stuff for bands and Dan's just kind of a man about town, and he has, uh, I don't know why, he's um, he's still <laughs> accepted my work and hung out with me, but it's just, um, you know, he did a, you know, a very huge thing for me to make this book. And um, I, know, I know why he did it, <laughs> because you're kind of a legend, Steve. <laughs> you actually are. Mm-hmm. You need somebody to get out there and push this stuff for you while you're I know I assume busy creating you're busy mm-hmm. it's hard I'm to busy. hold all those you know jobs being your own promoter and doing all the art you got it's nice that you have someone to you know wrap it all up in a book for you the book is really really beautiful oh, um wow. I was just uh really enjoying looking at it and I actually feel like I want to send one to my folks I want to buy one for my folks for for Christmas because I think they will really love it. Both of my parents are artists um, and they went to Minneapolis College of Art and Design, which maybe you've heard of, maybe not. I'm from Minnesota, but my dad did uh, glass blowing and photography and then ended up becoming the graphic designer for the St. Paul Public Schools, just, you know, like a functional just job, had to support the family. And then my mom was, you know, a stay-at-home mom and a fine artist. So I grew up playing in her studio in our home, 
And so I really related to, I was reading that you have two daughters and I thought, oh man, so they're growing up surrounded by such creative parents and right in the studio too. And I love that. I really related to that. Hmm. It's nice. Yeah. I think the kids just thought it was like the worst, you know, when they're like in elementary school, because how come, <laughs> how come our house looks different than everybody else's house? You know, we live in New York City, mm -hmm. we live in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. and how come our house you know, looks like that instead of, you know, granite top kitchen counters and things like that. So, but um, they accepted. Really? They didn't feel like they felt self-conscious about it? Oh, yeah. I think they love it now. I think they, I think they, um, yeah. they're, I mean, one of our kids, one of my daughters wrote her college essay about how strange and um, unique our house is and, you know, she got into college, mm. so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. It worked. <laughs> so your work is, uh, it's also getting her into college. It's not just, yeah. you know, adorning people's walls. Good yeah. job, Dad. Gives <laughs> <laughs> people good luck. I just play, I played a, uh, a house party like uh, last week, mm -hmm. a week ago, um, in, uh, what was it? It was uh, Larchmont, New York. Mm-hmm. And when I went, uh, it was a it was a birthday party. This woman Clay, she was turning fifty, and she was a fan, you know, an indie rock fan. They were huge music fans. And I went into this little room to warm up my my voice, and there was like three or four of your paintings in the room. <laughs> and there was a there was a rubber sole. That <laughs> I remember that one. And there was like a, your version of rubber sole, and then there were several other ones. But it was it, it was in their music room. They had this beautiful. I mean, the house was amazing. It was a beautiful house. It had art art all over the walls, and uh, there were many there were many Stephen Keens there. It was pretty cool. I was like, yeah, oh. I've been. Um, That's so cool. <laughs> you know, I've been doing this for. I've been working this way for oh, 34, 35 years. I went to art school. Mm -hmm. And I got out of art school 40 years ago. And so we went to Charlottesville and I thought, okay, I'm going to wash dishes and I'm going to make my art and I'm going to really discover what kind of art I should make. Cause I didn't really like art school that much. I mean, it's, it's, it's cool to go to a, to art school. It's exciting. And, but um, I really didn't know why I wasn't, I didn't really have a reason why you're supposed to be an artist, um, you know, after I graduated from school. And I wanted to, you know, I just had to figure out why I was an artist. And I just, um, I loved music. And I, um, my wife and I were on the college radio. She went to UVA. And so we were on the WTJU in Charlottesville 35 years ago for about four years and you were a college um, you were a college radio dj yeah yeah awesome i was, I was a townie and yeah. a college radio dj I, I i was sort of that too college radio was a huge huge part of my discovery of music and i never went to college myself but I, so i was sort of the terminal townie i love talking about college radio. <laughs> Did you know that music was going to connect to your art? That to me is so interesting because it's such a soul. Is it kind of your main focus? Is that the, I mean, it's like, it's music is your subject, right? 
Um, I do a lot of, a lot, I paint, I try to paint everything. I mean, a very popular thing are my album covers that I paint. And I, mm-hmm. I think of them as sort of memorials to, you know, forgotten times. And, you know, they're also like, I mean, what I think about this when I started getting my work out the way I do is that we'd see, you know, we'd go to a friend's show in a bar or a club and they'd bring up uh, a shoebox with cassettes that they would try to sell that night. And, you know, they'd hope they could sell 18 cassettes. And so I would bring, I would, I thought, you know what, why can't I bring my paintings? Why can't I, you know, try to sell things that way? And so I priced them really cheap so I wouldn't have to bring them home. And so I'd, you know, get more paint for the next day. (laughs) <laughs> and that feeling, that mm-hmm. instant rush of doing something wrong, like you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to pile up your art on the floor of a bar, and you're not supposed to sell it for two dollars a piece. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it it was mm-hmm. just felt like this is so um, attention getting, and uh, it it made me feel special for how <laughs> odd yeah. it was, and it made me feel good, and it and it's sort of people started thinking, mm. oh, this is a positive thing. This is not a weird thing. It's a positive thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, I just, I really, it was like a light, lightning bolt the first time I had a show in a friend's house where I had about 500 paintings. Wow. Charlottesville, oh they would have this like weekend gallery thing where they'd move their furniture out of their living room. And once a month, they'd have a friend show their work. And I had all my stuff and I just, I guess I sold it all for the weekend and everybody had a different opinion what they liked. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was great. And it just sort of like, wow, everything makes sense to me because I've, I've never really wanted to have to worry about whether my work was good or bad. I just wanted Mm -hmm. to make a lot of it. Wow, if I don't if I'm not beating myself up about whether my work is good or bad, I can um mm. I can fly and that's the way I feel about it. That's so similar. That's so similar to the way I thought about when I started Sebado, sort of on the wake of Dinosaur Junior or during Dinosaur Junior, we sold our cassette for a dollar at the local <laughs> record store. Like a dollar. That was it. And then the other thing was to put and inc- like just so many songs on a record <laughs> and of so many styles because it's it's it, the, the logic was exactly what you're saying is it like you decide whether it's good i'm just going to churn this stuff out and <laughs> yeah. and you make up your own minds and and mm. people always do and they still do have different ideas about what the best songs are of course there's ones that sort of pop out out of the but really, the idea was to make hundreds of short songs and sell them for nothing or literally give them away. I love that description. I really related to it. That, that, that I related to what you said, because it, there is a sense of freedom that comes with that when there's not one thing that's being precious. And, you know, that actually was the most stressful thing about my bands when they became more popular in the 90s was that things were focused on and they did pull things out and they did want to point and because really, I just wanted to have such a dizzying array of music that I never had <laughs> and be moving so quickly and moving ahead of the of the attention that, you know, you never. And I think in a way, like you, you're still doing that. You're still like you're still ahead. I think seeing the book and then actually meeting you and that 
crazy festival that in the middle wild. of Nevada. <laughs> <laughs> that was so crazy. I couldn't, I was to so explain, explain. explain. Was, yeah. I cannot remember the name of the festival. Maybe you do, but, um, <laughs> Shell Razor. Shell Razor. So, yeah. So ladies and gentlemen, this was a festival, a tiny festival. And when I say it's in the middle of nowhere, I'm, mean it and we're talking three hours from any city in the middle of the nevada desert we flew into salt lake city to get there and then drove due south for like three or four hours to get to this little patch at the sort of a foot of a mountain and one little stage and uh, the band selection was very odd i mean kind of really interesting not that many people there but i look across the field from the stage and i see Stephen's paintings. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. And just all just the piles of paintings, the paintings against each other. And I was like, I have to go say hello because I had never, we had never met. I went and said hello and it was surreal. Yeah, I almost made it. <laughs> I've been fan for a long time, you know. Yeah, I and you told me that, which was cool. And I, but I have like, I do, um, I guess maybe I wanted to figure out. Yeah, we have one. Because Adele asked me, she's like, do we have a Stephen King? I'm like, yeah, of course we do. And I'm like, this is the one. Lou has so much oh, wow. stuff in our house that I don't this even know what's oh, what. nice. Yeah, so this, <laughs> I cannot remember how I got it. Someone gave it to me. It wasn't you, obviously, but it was like, someone gave it to me. And around the perimeter of this painting, it's it says... Sebado's is a culture of a stubborn refusal to make decisions, which is a quote from, a, I believe, a Village Voice article. And that quote, <laughs> when when I read that initially, I was like, oh, God. I mean, it was like it was such an insightful thing to say about Sebado and a devastating thing for me personally, because I'm like, it's true. I do have a stubborn refusal. I mean, it like, and it extends not only to my music, it, it extends <laughs> deeply into my personal life. I mean, it's a very, very poignant quote. And when I got this, and it has that quote around it, I was like, oh, my God. So this painting has lived with me ever since, <laughs> reminding me of, of one of my great regrets. But <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's so but, cool. uh, yeah, I would copy... You know, I would copy phrases out of out of newspapers, just piles of stuff. I like and, that. Um, I, I I think in the book I was seeing. A, I like a lot of the work that's not necessarily music related. I like the. I really do like the pieces that do have that because I. That's something that I kind of relate to as an artist too. Is just like you're just you attach this quote to these. I like it. I like the sort of stream of consciousness of that and. Um, Though I like I like text on art too in general I would say I but. thought it made the pi the pictures um, I felt that the people thought it could be if it had words on it it must have been instructions or useful so they wouldn't worry about the picture they they'd see the picture and they read the words at the same time and they they would take away any kind of feeling that, oh, that picture stinks because they'd be too busy reading the words. So they were like, oh, it's just um, it's just a label of some kind. So I don't have to worry about whether it's good or bad. Steve, can I ask you something? I want to go back to what you're talking about when you said you wanted to just kind of make as much artwork as you could and sell it affordably and move it, right? Have it be moving. I keep thinking of like movement with you. And I have to say, 
I was really struck by how kind that is to think of yourself. Like, I like that approach to think kindly of your work. Like, I'm not here to judge if this is good or bad. It's up to you. And uh, that's a really like a nice way of self-care to try to be an artist because I think that I'm a knitwear designer and I went to school in Los Angeles. I have a degree in knitwear and I find it very difficult to be kind to myself when I'm, you know, trying to sell my work and to not judge what I'm doing uh, and go like, Oh, this is good or bad. Um, and so that's just sort of nice. Like I, for myself, I'm taking from that, like, you know, worry less about that and just make the work and put it out there, whatever it may be, you know, however it's taken, that's out of your hands. And so that's what I was sort of thinking about, you know, with just the fact that you make so much and you move so much art. It's like, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm not going to be concerned with maybe how if people think I'm good or bad. It's just what I want to do. I think um, I think like the, the freedom of that comes from like I love like minimalist art and like seventies mm -hmm. process too. art, where you know it's a it's it's a pile of rocks and it's very important that there's forty piles of rocks, you know, or there's mm -hmm. fourteen thousand lines that intersect on a hundred by sixteen foot wall. And it's sort of like, well, why couldn't I think of paintings like that? Because, you know, they don't worry about if their pencil lines are perfect and they don't worry about if their pile of, pile of rocks is perfect. So why can't, why can't paintings just be sort of a, a placekeeper for something, for something um, abstract, even though I paint like, you know, illustrative stuff. And so, you know, it's all that kind of, it's, it really is. It's like art ideas and being around musicians. Like when we're, you know, at the at the college radio station, um, Stephen Malkmus was there and David Berman was there and Bob Nastanovich were there. And these people were characters and they, they created their like own mythology and their own, you know, aura and they were just ridiculous. When you do these, when you do paint it like a successive paintings of one thing, do you have a number that you do? You're like, I'm going to do 20. Yeah, I'm done at 10 or I'm or, done yeah, at do you 12. Have, do you have that kind of... Is there an expiration? Like... Um, my, I would love to paint, like I have, I have like six feet by 80 feet worth of painting space. I paint sort of in a labyrinth because it's this whole building that we live in. It used to be my studio and we used to sleep in the back and we had... We had a sink and a microwave, and now it's sort of like a house, and so I got kind of squeezed in the middle, <laughs> which is, and I also have more tools that I didn't used to have back in the day. I have a lot of other stuff, and so, but I still have like 80 feet by six feet worth of work, and I would love to paint just one image at the time so I could just not think of what I'm doing, so it could just mm. be, you know, the movement the whole time and just shut down. Mm -hmm. But it depends. Sometimes I'll paint 10 of each or 40 of each. And sometimes, like, there used to be, like, media companies. There was this, you know, like, like you can't even remember the names. And they'd want, like, a thousand of them. And one time wow. I painted, like, a thousand for Capitol Records, like, 20 years ago. You know, just, 
And that's fun when you don't even think about it, when it doesn't become art, when it's just zones of color and you just, it's just, um, you know, it's sort of like 2001 Space Odyssey at the end. <laughs> you really are like a factory worker. It's really interesting. I, I actually, you know, I did, so I did a movie where I had to knit a lot of the same sweater. It was for, um, do you know the serial killer doll Chucky? <laughs> he's uh, from the movie Child's Play. He's like a, oh yeah, very oh, scary. Yeah. So he has this like iconic striped sweater and I was hired to knit for a couple of those movies. And every week I just, it took me a week to knit a, one of the sweaters. It was kind of a difficult piece. So I would start it on Monday and finish it on Friday. And the, um, the, my boss, she would swing by my house in LA. This is back when I lived in Los Angeles. She'd swing by my house, hand me a check and take a sweater. So I did that for quite a while. And cause I think they did like two movies back to back. Anyway, for me, <laughs> just so they could have like, the, they, they had all the, these little sweaters. For they you. have to have many of them because, you know, since it's a horror film, they he's, there's a lot of like, special effects that happen so like you know blood cutting anyway but it's interesting to me i'm fascinated that you do so much of the same stuff because i really struggled with doing the same thing i started to feel kind of crazy i was like oh i can't look at this sweater anymore i'm done and i and i don't like being on the line like just doing the same thing over and over and over again and uh And and knitwear is all repetition, so I love repetition, but I do need change. So I find it really interesting that, you know, you do – your style is so beautifully consistent. Like, if you see your work, you know it's a Steve Keen, and that's – I don't know, that's incredible. You have such a particular look. I mean – I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. it's like it's it's like handwriting to me the way i structure it because Mm. you know it's the fastest way and it's a logical way like fat strokes first and then medium ones and then smaller ones and i i really do think of a like specific handwriting like it's it's my and so it Mm. wouldn't make like yeah it always seems impossible like all the time, I'm like, oh, I should be a better artist. Boy, I wish I could paint like that or, oh, you know. And whenever mm-hmm. I try to insert, I mean, it still happens. You know, it, it happens all mm. the time. I try to insert a little bit. Oh, I should think about this person while I'm doing it. It's like, oh, no, bad idea. Mm. It's just like the best thing is just like not mm. to, you know. Okay, that <laughs> – yeah, this this is actually so I had other questions for you. And this sort of leads into another question that I wrote down because I was thinking about this. And I, I, again, I don't know about how you are when you're working. But for me, I can get very distracted by sound. So like, 
<clears throat> I have to only knit to certain music. Otherwise, uh, if it's something that's maybe too personal in the lyrics, I get very distracted and like emotionally involved and I'm not concentrating on the work and I make mistakes. So I tend to listen to a lot of like meditation playlists and things like that. And I was wondering if if that ever happens to you and do you listen to anything when you paint? Is it, or, and is there things that like drive you nuts? You're like, I can't have that sound while I'm painting. It'll ruin my vibe. I, I can't listen to um, indie rock or, or like, um, like WFMU or anything because I, 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 I then like, I'm listening to it. Then I'm focusing on, Oh, what song is that? Oh, you know, Sometimes I don't have anything on, and a lot of times I have classical music on, but if mm -hmm. I need energy, if I'm feeling exhausted, I just put on, you know, classic rock, you know, just, I mean, I don't listen, I don't have Spotify or anything like that. I don't like, I don't want to choose my music. I just listen to like, you know, K-Rock, just, you know, just the same Van Halen songs over and over again, because it just, it it shrinks time. It just makes me think that I'm, you know, 19 years old, washing dishes in a restaurant, <laughs> just, you know, and it's just sort of like, I guess that's, you know, that's where my work comes from, too, the idea that you go in there and you just have this mountain of crazy work. Being a dishwasher is like the only, I've, I've had like basically three jobs in my life, washing <laughs> dishes and then working as a gun engraver. I used to, I, very skilled. I used oh. to be extremely skilled at engraving. Like um, you take an engraving tool and engrave it into zinc or copper. And that, that's what I wow. went to graduate school for. And then I used to work in a wow. silkscreen place that did um, like um, images for print ads or TV commercials where if they had to have like a Oil of Olay package that was going to be on TV or Maxwell House, the colors had to be pumped up. And so we would have to do this. And it was just unbelievably skilled. And I was, I kind of talked my way into the job. I didn't really talk my way. They just thought that I was good enough to do it. And I learned real mm -hmm. fast and I did it, but I could only do it for like, like, oh, a year. And then that's when we first moved to New York, like 34 years ago, and mm. we didn't know how to get new jobs. So we just had to move back to Charlottesville. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't know how to move on from this. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, all of those things do have a thread, don't they? I mean, it's like the repetition of dishwashing, of the engraving, all of that. It's like, it's interesting. So you're, I don't know. Gosh. Do you get sick of doing these paintings? Or are you like, I'm going to retire someday? I mean, do you want to do this till you're like your last dying breath? Like, is um, there an end date? I don't get thick because I have different reasons now why I do it, I think. Um, mm. You know, it, they evolve. I do a lot of other work, which is I, I draw on the computer and I make basically prints or engravings in on wood from images that I draw on the computer. Oh, cool. And I also like sort of make, um, like for me, whenever I show my work, that's really, you know, at an event, that's the work of art for me. Like the paintings are just like 
the thing that's part of the artwork, but the event, like the way I structured the sale of the paintings, the way I create bins and zones to sell the painting, or sometimes like I was, I was lucky enough four years ago, I was, I was sponsored by a gallery to be at, you know, this art, it's like an art convention. It was called Freeze. And I had a stage, I built a stage and I painted in front of like all the people and I'm, you know, still selling the paintings for like 20, they made me kind of jack up the prices, 20 and $50. And I sold everything, which was great, but it's like, um, you know, it's a fancy place where people are selling paintings for like $800,000 and, and I, people liked it, but people got like the galleries around it were kind of, um, they didn't like it because why should, why should anybody buy their stuff if they can get a painting for, you know, 10 or 20 bucks from me? But, um, mm. it was, you know, I, to me, it's an event. It's not meant to be, it's really not meant to be like an ironic take on the art market. It's meant to be, um, an event where people get souvenirs of the event. Like I think like, you know, Christo, the guy that wraps things up, wraps up the Reichstag or makes the gates, you know, and things like that. I, these people that do stuff that's like too big, too big to comprehend, you know, um, I just forgot the guy in Nevada who made that Michael Heiser who made that just like, you know, football fields worth of art. It's like really hard to get there. So I'll probably never get a ticket to get there. But, um, you know, too many people want to go. But these things that are like too big, it's like, why is it too big? To me, that's the art. That's what I like. So, I mean, really, you you started with shows. Like you said, you sold your, your paintings at shows. Yeah. So in a way you what you what you are doing is actually very parallel to indie rock i mean your friends were in bands i mean and there was and indie rock was different i mean there was it was it was in the wake of like punk rock but it there was also just this it was uh it wasn't classic rock it wasn't rock stars it was very like it was very personal and uh you know people wore their regular clothes on st i mean it took away all of the oh, sort of yeah. pretense oh, of rock totally i mean it was like you know, we were living in New Haven and there was this band called um, Miracle Legion that we love. Because, oh, yes. Yeah, and, and it was yeah. like, this is really good. And it's not like Grateful Dead. And mm -hmm. so and then, our, you know, we saw R.E.M. At, at Toads that summer in 83. And it was just sort of like, wow, this is really something that's kind of accessible, like to the way we look and live our you know, and live our lives. And then you realize how thrilling yeah. it was. It's yeah. like a, it's like a river that flows to everybody's town, these indie bands. Yes. And everybody started to yep. know each other. And that's, that, yep. that was this incredible beauty. I think the idea of, of things being approachable and, and kind of taking away the mystery of, because I, I know that for me, it was like, I was, I really, really wanted demystification um so it, it's cool that i can see that i can see this parallel between your the way you think about stuff and the way that no, it was a, that I, I felt about it art art wise it was a it was a lifeline to me because i never i, I never really got the idea of like um 
how do how do you how do you show your artwork you know and it's sort of like well gosh you know you make up a way you know you make up a way to show your artwork you show it on the you show it on the streets you just just do um mm-hmm. you sell it like a yard sale like i actually had one of my first yard art shows maybe my first official art show really was when um David Berman and Bob Nastanovich were moving to Hoboken when they were, after they graduated from UVA, they just had a whole bunch of stuff. And we were moving then too, because my wife got a job. Um, She graduated and she got a job in New York. She's an architect. And so I had all these paintings and I had a show where we lived and, and people came, but there was like a whole bunch left over. And so I, it was like I had about, just, you know, not that many, maybe 70 left over. And it's like, well, nobody really wants these. So I'm going to write German names on top of the German cities on top of the pictures. And I'm going to take them over to David's yard sale. <laughs> and um, so we sold them there. And that was great. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love that. Well, there you go. You were just like, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to get these. I'm going to get these out there somehow, some way. You know, I think that even though I'm, I don't think that's like an either or situation with this artwork where it's either like you either, I think there's room for your affordable art and what you're doing. And I think there's room for the $800 art and the $8 million art. I just, I don't think that it's like one or the other, you know, I think that there's room for all of it. And just like music, I mean. I think that's great. And I mean, that's the way I feel because I've always worked up until, up until I made an, enough money um, to not have to work another job. You know, no, nobody's getting rich here doing this, but it mm-hmm. was like, you know, so I could, I make enough mm-hmm. money. So it's like a $20 an hour job. So it's like, Oh wow, I can stay home mm-hmm. and do this. This is great. But you know, I've always worked in mm-hmm. restaurants and it's always like, you know, it's like a service industry. And I just like, Mm-hmm. You know, what ha- what happens if it's like you're a service industry, but you feel like you're Pollock, like surrounded by all your paint <laughs> and just mm-hmm. walls and walls of wet paint. And so that's kind of my thing. Um, I wanted to ask you, do you only paint musicians or people you like or oh, do no, you no. ever? It's just like, is it just is it a cover that's interesting to you? Covers or? are interesting. And and a lot of the music. A lot of the albums, I, I've never even heard the record. I'm just, I oh, like to see what people's wondering. reaction is if uh-huh. I paint a record that I never heard of. And some people are like, whoa, this is a great, this, how did you find this is my favorite record? And um, then it's like, well, I'm going to have to check uh-huh. this out. But it's sort of, I just love the packaging. What's an example of that? Oh, I don't well, think I've, I've ever heard King Crimson. Okay, okay. Well, I was looking through your book, and I have to say there was like, um, <laughs> you do have a Dinosaur Jr. you're living all over me. Oh, yeah, that's, of course. Oh, we yeah, had that. in the we book. book. That, we had that. We had Bug. Oh, man. <laughs> you yeah, did? Was, yeah. That's, that's all you radio guys. stuff. <laughs> so you guys at 930 Club uh-huh. in the spring so of cool. 89. So. You only played like 45 minutes, but it was perfect because it was so excruciating 
It was just so loud. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah, like, yeah. Are you still like suffering from, to this day from that concert? No, that doesn't really hurt. I mean, the only time my ears really hurt was at Capitol Center hearing Led Zeppelin in 77. You really, it affected oh. thousands of, of Northern Virginia and um, Maryland people. <laughs> That's true. Actually, Adele's father, his. Uh, he saw Led Zeppelin. I'm like, wow, you saw Led Zeppelin. How was it? He was like, it was terrible. It was way too loud. <laughs> it was strange. It was strange. I think he saw them at Paradiso he, in yeah, Amsterdam. Yeah, he saw them at Paradiso, <laughs> My dad had a really cool experience with the original Van Gogh Museum. Um, of course, this was, I don't know, I guess the 60s, right? And early 70s. Early, early 70s. Yeah. And so, you know, there's no internet. You can't like go check to see the museum hours, whatever. You know, he just was a student living in Holland. And he, so he bought like a train ticket to go to the Van Gogh Museum. He just thought, I'm going to go there that day. Well, I showed up and I guess at the time it was like on someone's property, like on the farm or something. Wow. And it was just like in a building, you know, on, on this property and he shows up and there was like just a person living there and they were like, Oh, that it's closed. We're going to do some construction. And my dad said, well, I, okay. I just came all the way out here. I just wanted to see it. And they go, well, why don't you just go ahead? Just go ahead. Wow. So he just spent the entire day alone, no security, no care, nothing, you know, no ropes wow. just with the Van Goghs and he was like, I I kind of was in this moment realizing this will never happen again in my <laughs> life. This is such a unique experience. And I thought that is for damn sure. Wow. That's an mm -hmm. amazing story. That's Isn't amazing. that incredible? Really wow. beautiful. Yeah. Really so beautiful. Memorable, it becomes, right? It becomes the way the art was originally, um, you know, the audience for the art was you know, sure, especially in, Van Gogh, right? Think about house. that. Yeah, he didn't sell I mean, almost anything. My goodness. Um, we're so glad you came on and yeah. your work is just, it's just so inspiring to me. I'm really- yeah, Adele like, wasn't really entirely like, familiar with I your, didn't know your work, it. which is yeah, pretty, it's it was, cool. I mean, I do, I, I love watching her, you know, just take something in for the first time and, and her comments about it. And I really loved her perspective on it is really fresh because- um, I mean, I've known your work for a very long time, and many of my favorite records have your work on them. And uh, so I think her discovering your work has been really, really, really nice. And I'm glad we were able to um, to do this because yeah, I had told her that I'd seen you in, you know, in, in uh, Nevada and was sort of trying to explain to her, like, why this was significant and how we had a piece of the work upstairs and yeah. what the work that you had done. And I, I generally just when I start to try to explain something, I start tripping all over my words and <laughs> and not really, you know, just speaking in fragments. And I think this is really this is this is kind of a really cool thing where we actually have something really articulated and of course this nice big oh, book <laughs> i love the book i think it's incredible you well that's such that, an that's, amazing job dan. that is 100 percent dan that is one yeah dan what you've done is really really dick. it's beautiful it really is i mean this is um 
and I, I, I'm not like a huge collector, but I do have kind of a fair amount of art books. They're kind of my only books I really like to have are the really nice coffee table. And my Rothko is one of my favorites, but um, this is really nice. And I'm excited to set it next to the Rothko and, <laughs> you know, um, and sandwiched between the Alexander McQueen book that of course I got. And so um, I can't wait to just spend time looking at it and going over it. It's And I think that it would make a really, really nice holiday gift if anyone wants. We're going to put <laughs> links to all the stuff, okay, in our, in our uh, notes wow. for the episode. Great. And um, we'll also do a Substack post, you know, and have links and things like that. And thank you so much for giving us your time today. Mm -hmm. yep. Thanks. Thank you so much, you guys. Give me all your impressions, your thoughts, your words, your time. Well, there we go. That was our first, not our, I don't want to say our first proper interview because we've interviewed people. Absolutely. And they've been proper. <clears throat> They're all proper. It's all proper. Everything <laughs> we do. This was just new the way we did it. This was just new. Um, is it okay if I talk about what a terrible interviewer um, I am? Aw, um, buns. Oh, you were so good. Really? In this interview, completing your sentences, <laughs> inquiring things, asking thoughtful questions. Do I, do, do I speak in fragments in our normal life? Is this mm. what it's like to be with me? Just these fragments <laughs> of sentences from, I was editing that and I was speaking absolute gibberish the whole time. You know what? I, I notice it actually when you're speaking to other people, but I do think when you and I are speaking or you're speaking to the kids, I don't see you do that. I so I don't know. Wow. So it's I could just say, thank you, Adele. You complete my sentences. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I was really honored to get to talk to Steve. I, I really like his artwork and uh, it's very inspiring for me. And I'm very, very grateful that they sent us this art book. I'm going to now go onto the website and purchase. This was gifted to us very generously by them, but I'm actually going to go online and purchase some copies because I think they will make really nice gifts this holiday season. So, but in the book, there is a really, uh, cool dinosaur junior when he did for you're living all over yeah, me we mentioned that in the interview oh i do oh you well, do. i'm so repetitive then <laughs> so sorry everyone at least it's it's a at least the, the repetition comes in complete sentences <laughs> i tend to repeat myself fragmentary repetition start stop start stop start stop how do you how do you live with it i love it Okay, well, we love we love anyone who's listening. We love you. Keep listening. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.